Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 4, where our brother Orville read. Those passages were wonderful. Brother Red should have kept going. Who told you that? I'll get them afterwards. Acts chapter 4. Two old men have exposed themselves in front of the whole congregation. I call, I have Matthew read the wrong passage and Brother Red leaves out half the verse. It's going to get worse than that before it gets better. It is going to get better. Oh, brethren, love is the greatest. We are as doctrinal of a church as there has been. We do care about the doctrine of the Bible. We will fight for everything that God shows us. I mean, we make a case for the sonship of Jesus Christ to the gospel millennium and everything in between. However, however, love is the greatest. You had read by our young brother in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, a description of a church full of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. When a church is full of the Holy Ghost, it will be a loving church. And that love will be visible in the church and out of the church. And that love will result in real acts of charity. And these are real acts of charity. A hug, a kiss, a warm embrace on a Sunday is a token of charity. It's a token. That's too easy to pay. It's when you give and you give out of your money. That's when we know that it's important to us, when we'll pay. And so here is the example for us of a church full of the Holy Ghost. I do not believe that the Holy Spirit makes errors in the arrangement of the verses of our Bible. And when I go to the next verse, it jumps back to the apostles having great power and giving witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And then verse 34 says the same thing as verse 32 that neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made. Why did he say that in 32, then say it again in verse 34, and stick in between verse 33? Because Holy Ghost power goes along with a church loving one another. When a church is divided, biting or devouring one another, like Galatians chapter 5 describes, When we have grudges in our heart against one another, we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, and it defeats the whole purpose of a gospel church. Even the apostles would have been stunted. That's why the Apostle Paul, over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he says to esteem the ministry very highly in love for their work's sake, what does he add? What does he tack on at the end of that sentence? And be at peace among yourselves. You know what the best thing you can ever do for your pastor? For any pastor, be at peace among yourselves. 
Because when you're at peace, the Holy Spirit will come to bear and work in a congregation and the pastor's mind is freed up to do all the things that are important rather than taking care of squabbles. Praise the God of heaven. This passage, I hope you see it with power. This is a picture of a real church. It's not in the purpose-driven stuff by Rick Warren. It's in the book of Acts. We had Acts chapter 2. We have Acts chapter 4. Both of them, the church was of one mind and they took care of one another. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. When we go through the epistles of the New Testament, we find Paul dealing with problems in a number of those churches. When we come to the epistle to the Philippians, there's a whole lot of love and a whole lot of condemn, commendation and praise for this church rather than criticism. And our, and our brother Bruce read to us some wonderful verses about this church being perfected and that Paul was praying for that. But I want you to notice, and I want to pull out for your understanding, that ninth verse. And this I pray. This is how Paul prayed for a good church to be a better church. That your love may abound yet more and more. When Paul is praying for the perfection of a church, and, then, and he's going to prayer for them, a good church, and he wants them to be better. Notice what he prays. I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. And it's not just mere sentimentality. It's love in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye might know how to approve things that are excellent. That everything you do in your church, though it's full of love, and you're abounding in it more and more, it's always based on truth and the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and His Word. It's not just fuzzy feelings. It's sober love, sound love, built on the Word of God. That ye may be without offense till the day of Christ. How can you be without offense till the day of Christ? Abounding in love, in knowledge and judgment, so that you approve excellent things. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. You know, when you read that long sentence, you might get lost sometimes. Don't get lost. Go back and get the sentence again. How do you really get being filled with the fruits of the righteousness that we find in verse 11, unto the glory and praise of God. How do we truly glorify and praise God with fruits of righteousness? We start out by abounding more and more in love. Above all these things, put on fervent charity among yourselves. Love. We went over what it is. I've taught you what it is many, many times. It's overlooking and forgiving the faults of each other. Because they're going to happen. We never get upset at each other. We love each other. We forbear. We forgive. We're tender-hearted. We have bowels of compassion. We're patient. We're long-suffering. We bear all things. We endure all things. We don't think evil. We're not easily provoked. That's love. And church can be blessed by the God of heaven. We have, we have not achieved what the Lord has in store for those that will truly love one another and love Him. Look at 1 John 4, where our brother read. And let's get that 13th verse. It's my fault that we didn't have it read earlier. It's not his. He'd have read the rest of the epistle. 1 John 4. Did you see the comparison? If God has loved us in sending His only begotten Son, should we not love one another? Did you read some of the words? God is love. 
If someone loves other people, then the love of God is in them. God is in them. God dwells in them. This is how you know God dwells in you. Because it flows out in love because God is love. Wonderful words. Powerful words. Condemning words to any selfish person. This preaching that I'm going through right now is to kill, crucify, and smash yourself, your ego, and everything that the world wants to lift up. The world wants you to learn to love yourself. I want you to learn to love others as yourself because you already love yourself as well as you possibly can. There is no shortage of self-love in the world. Criminals and others and dysfunctional those who live dysfunctional lives are because they love themselves too much. If they would get out of themselves and love others, they would find function and happiness and fulfillment in life. The more you serve, the happier you'll be. Cheat, cheat my words and you will not be happy. Get out of yourself. I watch it. I watch it on your faces. I know it in my life. When I withdraw into myself, I'm miserable, I'm discontented, I'm frustrated. Life is not satisfying nor fulfilling when I get out and serve others. Life is wonderful and it requires no change in outward circumstances. First right. John chapter 4. Our brother read verse 12, No man hath seen God at any time. Here's, his, here's the closest view you get of Him on earth. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. This goes right back to Acts 4, when a church or a person is full of the Spirit of God, they will overlook all the offenses of another person. They will put up with it forever. They will suffer long. That's called long-suffering. They will get along. They will do acts of kindness. They will show charity without grudging, and they won't hold grudges. And that's what we've got to do, brethren, Every member that we add to this church, every member that we add to this church, at the present level, we add 232 relationships. It is a mathematical formula. You understand it. 116 people have to relate to a new person. Forgive them. Overlook their faults. Love them. Serve them. Bless them. Do kindness toward them. Show hospitality toward them. And that person's got to do it back to all 116. That's 232 relationships. And that is what we need to do when it says one another in the New Testament. One another. Not one all the others in general by saying, yeah, I love the church. It's one to every single other member. And that's what we want to do. And that will free the Holy Ghost up in our church to bless us by His grace and He can perfect that love in us. Did you hear the verse? 1 John 4.12 He can perfect it in us. And He'll perfect everything else that's lacking in our lives as well till we are approving things that are excellent and we are filled with the fruits of righteousness to the praise and glory of God. That is the goal. Do you want to get there? Love one another. Get, out, get outside. Kill self. Forget your schedule. Forget the things that you try to protect. Give time, give money, give hospitality, give emotion, give concern, give compassion. Those things that you, when you do that, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God will fill you 
with the perfection of that kind of love for one another. That is not normal. That is not natural. Men do not ordinarily give up self for others. Especially when there is no tie except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood. You know, when they do it for a clan or when they do it for a nation or when they do it, that doesn't count. That isn't love. All pagans have done that and animals do it. Wolves fight together. What have you proved by describing to me the camaraderie and esprit de corps of a military unit? Wolves do the same. When we do it, because we are all blood-bought brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that makes all the difference in the world. The motive is entirely different. And as I've taught you, the Lord brings a bunch of very different sinners together and sees if we'll love one another. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12 again. I know you've been there before. Brethren, my job is by repetition to help you remember things that you don't forget. First Corinthians 12, what did I cover this morning? Uh, the great Apostle Paul. How, how fantastic the credentials of this man were. He could say, but I certify you, brethren. I guarantee that what I'm preaching is different. Not different from the other apostles as far as content, but different in the source of it, the origin of it. He was given it straight by the Lord Jesus Christ. And not, he was not taught by any other man. And we looked at that in Galatians chapter 1. But when we think about such a high and noble office that Paul had, I have to remind you that when he listed the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he put apostles at the top of that list. And yet he said, I show unto you a more excellent way. There is a more excellent way to serve Jesus Christ than Paul as an apostle. That's verse 31. Covet earnestly the best gifts. What's the best gift? Being an apostle. Covet it. Covet it earnestly. Show, tell God how much you wish you were an apostle, that you could serve Him like Paul, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. I'm back at this verse because I never want you to be discouraged about your role. Do you want to serve God in the church of God more than an apostle? Then fulfill your role of loving one another. Because that is what he's referring to. You can be greater than Paul in serving this church in the sight of God. These are inspired words. These are not just feel-good words written by some mushy sentimentalist. Sentimentalist. This is Paul by the Holy Spirit. And when he says, I show unto you a more excellent way, he shows us in chapter 13. And he says, no matter what tongues I spoke in, no matter how much knowledge I had of the doctrine of God, and no matter if I died a martyr's death in the catacomb, being eaten by lions for the gospel's sake, if I don't know how to love the other people in the pews around me, it is nothing, it is an ugly noise, and it profits me nothing. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Faith and hope are going to disappear. You don't need faith in heaven or hope because we're going to realize the object of both. But we're still going to love each other in heaven. Knowledge is going, the gift of knowledge that these Corinthians were so worried about in chapters 12 and 14, the gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, all that was going to go away and it's been gone away for 1936 years. But charity wasn't going away. Brethren, love is the greatest. 
Love is the first commandment. Love is the royal commandment. Love includes all the other commandments, the Bible tells us, which I gave you last Sunday. Love is the greatest grace. The most significant thing you can show is how you treat other people. How giving and serving are you? Or are you always wanting it your way? You know, parents, you can love your children too by forgetting your little obsessions and honoring your children once in a while and thinking about their lives. All of us, every relationship you've got, how do you treat other people is the measure of Christianity, especially as we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and especially as we do it among ourselves right here. It's the greatest grace. By nature, we're children of the devil, hateful and hating one another. He was a murderer from the beginning, and we're right behind him. Love is the greatest evidence. We just had some of that read to us in 1 John chapter 4, but look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You know, I am asked, and I am asked often, how can I know that I'm one of God's elect? How can I know that my name is in the book of life? Well, I can't show you the book of life. I can't show you God's election except this way. How you treat other people. Are you selfish, arrogant, the main talker, or are you a listener, servant, and giver? It's so easy to tell. And I press on this subject because the Bible says it's the greatest. And so I press it because it's a priority that God's given me. I hammer on myself as much as anyone in the audience on this subject. I want to be the greatest servant. I want to be like Paul. I hope you all want to be like Paul. I hope I'm speaking for all of you. Paul said, I am willing to spend and be spent, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. That's why I have a 15th question when we take in a new member. The church is not where you go to get loved or to be served. The church is where you go to love and to serve because that's what Jesus taught us. He said He did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And we want to do that. That's how you know. Paul, what a man. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The Corinthians despised him. And he kept right on loving them. You know how we think? Well, I did something nice for them and they haven't done anything nice back. I'm not going to do anything nice for them again. Oh, yes, you do. Every single one of you think that way. That's how we think by nature. We're selfish. Do you know what we, how we think if we're the Lord Jesus Christ? We just keep on giving. If we're like Paul, we just keep on giving. Just keep on serving. What else can I do before these people all go home this afternoon? What else can I do to help someone? That is what Jesus Christ taught. That is the commandment you've heard from the beginning. To be a servant and to love others. That is the evidence of eternal life. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? 
because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Now look at this 14th verse. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. There we have it. That's how we know we've passed from death into life. By the degree of service and kindness and compassion and bowels of feelings and effort and money and hospitality and good things we've done for one another in this body. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're all blood-bought brothers and sisters. That's how the Lord wants you to measure. And that's how First John teaches us to measure. This is the greatest evidence. You know, in Second Peter chapter 1, Paul told you how to make your, Peter told you how to make your election sure. And he started with faith. You know, and he said, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and so on. And he got down to the last two. And can somebody help me what two he had to double in there to make sure we got the emphasis correct? Brotherly kindness and charity, the last two, number seven and eight. Of the eight things to make your calling and election sure, and a person whose life is filled with brotherly kindness and charity shall never fall. He'll never fall. You want to lay hold of eternal life? Do you want to build up a good foundation against the time to come? What does it tell you to do? Be willing to communicate and ready to distribute. What is that? This. Willing to communicate. That doesn't mean I like to talk on the phone. Willing to communicate means to communicate stuff and money to those in need. Absolutely, that's what it means. That context is addressed to the rich in this world. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. To be willing to communicate and ready to distribute. When you know there's a need, you respond. And you respond generously because you've got it in your heart like those Spirit-filled people in Acts 2 and 4, that we are all one body together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and our things are not our own. That's how we know. See, it's a whole lot more than faith, isn't it? And the whole world today, you know what the whole world in this city is preaching today? Do you want to know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Then we're going to play just as I am on the organ. We're going to bleed you for, a couple, for several minutes now, and we want you to come forward and invite Jesus into your heart. Find that, find that for me in the Bible. Find me where you invite Jesus into your heart in the Bible. I'll tell you what happens if you're ever saved. Jesus Christ opens your heart by His mighty voice. That's what happened to Lydia. The Bible says, And the Lord opened her heart so that she could hear the things that Paul was preaching. Do you know how you know your election? According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, by the labor of love that those people showed, Paul said, No problem. I know that you're the elect of God. Oh, that is... Isn't that wonderful? What a Lord! He's arranged the greatest evidence the way we treat one another. So while we're all trying to make sure our calling and election, we all get a benefit, don't we? Is is the Lord wise in the way He constructed the church? Yes, He is. Is our purpose in this church, our number one purpose, to keep some great commission? Our purpose isn't to keep the great commission. Our purpose is to keep the commandment given to us from the beginning that ye love one another. Amen. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, by the love ye have one to another. Praise the Lord of heaven. Look at John 13. John 13, I've quoted it last week. I've probably already quoted it this week. But I want you to see it. Love is the greatest measure 
of the children of God. It's the greatest duty. It's the greatest grace. It's the greatest evidence. And it's the greatest measure of how you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Did you see in those passages like Philippians 1 that for a good church to become a perfect church, they need to abound more and more in love? You say, you preach on it too much. Read your New Testament. Read your New Testament. If you can do a statistical study to show me that I've, that I've overemphasized love and we've achieved more than we should have in that area, I'll not preach on it for a while. I know that most of the fear and worry in my life is because of a lack of love. And my distress before the Lord at the imperfections of our church, which includes me, is that we don't love enough. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. This is the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Men do not know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ because we stand with posters and signs in front of an abortion clinic. Men do not know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ because we have God and country rallies. Men know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ by the love we have one to another. That isn't coming in and getting a warm feeling while you're singing in the pew. That is bowels of compassion and concern for others 24-7. And it's the only happy way to live. The unhappy people are those who have not learned to love others. If you want an increase in happiness, get outside of yourself and do more for someone else. Just start right now. Well, I mean in five minutes. <laughs> don't say that either. In a few minutes, as soon as I finish, just start doing something for someone else and you will get an increase in your thermometer of happiness. Right. And do you know what? You'll be testifying to the whole world and glorifying God by your life. Because do you know how God, God can be glorified in us? By formerly selfish people becoming great servants. Lord, help us. Help me. Love is the greatest means. The greatest, things, the greatest things we can accomplish for Christ's kingdom is through love. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I call a message like last Sunday, the second service, and today, the second service, a tithe message. Because I'm giving you a tithe of all that could be preached on this subject. And of all that I have here to preach on this subject, I give you a tithe because it is the number one message of the New Testament to love one another. You want to be successful? Become a servant. You want to be great in the sight of God? Become a servant. You want to be great in the sight of men? Become a servant. Happier? Servant. Testify of the gospel of grace? Servant. Build our church? Servant. It's the greatest means. Look at Ephesians 4, describing the purpose of the ministry and then all of us together as a church. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, there it is, love, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
How do we as a church grow up into Him in all things? Speaking the truth in love. From whom, speaking of Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, including the three joints we took in today, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, including the three parts we took in today, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Love, in verse 15, love, in verse 16, are the ingredients which, if every joint and every part will contribute toward one another, edifies itself. I've been over the words. Don't get discouraged by a King James word. Get discouraged at your lack of reading, intelligence, and study. You know what an edifice is. It's a building. To edify ourselves is to build the church up from the inside out. And we build a church up from the inside out by love. That which every joint and every part contributes. You know, you know Rick Warren's got 80,000 church members on the roll at Saddleback Community in Southern California. 80,000. Do you know how many he gets to his best assemblies? 20. Now, if you've only got 25% of your members there, and they're all split up, they're over here in the motorcycle venue, where they're getting a purpose-driven motorcycle presentation of the gospel, and they're all split up all over the place. You've got graham crackers and milk going down in one section for the children, and you've only got 25% to start with, then they're all split up. What kind of internal edification do you have? All you've got is a social program going on in Southern California where they all donate together to have a community center to go to on Sundays for their entertainment. And if you think I'm harsh, try Galatians chapter 1. He's preaching another gospel. Purpose-driven drivel. It's love. This is how we build a church. And it's from the inside. It's by the Spirit of God. And it's by the fruits of the Spirit of God. We don't measure ourselves by numbers. God never has. He said, it is your Father's good pleasure to get little flock to give you the kingdom. He called them a little flock. He didn't call them a mega church. It's love, brethren. It's the greatest means by which we can build the church. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Oh, and if you say, what is love? I just want to know it better. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And just, it's just one sentence long. 15 phrases. Now, you should memorize it. Charity suffereth long. That's, that'll get you started right there. Who's irritating you recently? Me? Okay. Charity suffereth long. Will you suffer a long time? Because I don't know that I'm going to get any better. <laughs> I know that's pitiful. You should all get up and walk out. But listen, we've got to endure each other. That's how it ends. It's a wonderful sentence, and that's what love is. Do you understand that? That is what love is? It's how you treat other people, mostly from the negative side. How much can you put up with from somebody that's irritating you? Amazing. This is the more excellent way. That's what it is. I used to, you know, I can remember hearing about love and sitting there. Yeah, love. It's some vague, nebulous fog out there. I wasn't sure what it was. I'm telling you exactly what it is. Can you show hospitality without grudging? Can you forbear and forgive one another? 
and get rid of all, let bygones be bygones and let me put them in the ground and stamp, stamp on them and make them bones in the dirt. Let's get rid of all grudges. That's love. Do you know what? When we're doing things like that only because Jesus Christ commanded it and our only bond is Jesus Christ, it is proof of the Holy Spirit of God in us because men would not do it otherwise. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. You know this verse? 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all your things be done with charity. I was talking to a specific brother. Do you know this verse? Let all your things be done with charity. Everywhere you turn in the Bible, everywhere you turn, there's more about charity, there's more about love, because I'm telling you, God is love. Step outside right now. You don't believe God is love? Step outside, look up at that sky, feel that breeze, feel that warmth on you. God is love. And he shows his goodness and benevolence to the entire earth, good and evil. Those that despise him and hate him, he still shows them general goodness in his providence of the affairs of this world. He sends fruitful seasons into their heart. They plant, they harvest. They have silos filled with the produce. Oh, they smell that successful harvest. Oh, and that success of making money and of having a fruitful season. That is the God of heaven. When they smell the alfalfa, oh, it's not alfalfa. It's partly alfalfa in Kentucky. Oh, Bob, don't let him drive through Kentucky. You'll have to turn the windows down because he wants to smell every field that he drives by because that's where he was raised and those smells mean a great deal to him. But do you know what the Bible tells me in Acts chapter 14? That smell and that feeling in the hearts of a successful harvest is from the God of heaven leaving a testimony in the earth that he is good and kind. And he's doing that to his enemies. While they have same-sex marriages and abort babies in this country, he's doing it to his enemies. If he can do it to his enemies, for you to be a child of God and for me to be a child of God and for us to show the nature of a child of God, we need to do that to our enemies. And your enemies could be your spouse right now. They could be a child. They could be a parent. They could be somebody in the pew in front of you. Let's get rid of enemies. And let's... Show them kindness and goodness just like the Lord does. Let all your things be done with charity. Everything we do, covered with love. First Peter chapter 3. With this I'll close. Well, it's the next to the last one. First Peter chapter 3. I hope you'll allow me to change my mind once in a while. First Peter chapter 3. I said I'm giving you a tithe and I truly am. This isn't vague. This isn't nebulous. If you can be compassionate and forgiving and kind and gentle to one another, it shows the Spirit of God inside you. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, there's some, there's some promises and blessings in this passage. So if you feel that your life is a little down right now, why don't you listen? Right. 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally... Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, 
that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. If you will love life and see good days, love other people. Don't speak evil about them when they're not there. That's backbiting, tail-bearing, and whispering. If it's the truth, whoa, if it's the truth you're telling about someone else, but it is damaging to their reputation and character, it is backbiting, tail-bearing, and whispering. If it is not true information that you're giving about somebody else, it's called slander in the Bible. So you don't speak evil about anybody behind their backs. We're always praising and lifting up each other. And then you don't have any guile. There is no deception, exaggeration, or implications of anything else. It is pure, straightforward, straightforward, yay, yay, nay, nay, in all of your dealings with men. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Be kind. Be gentle. If you love life, and if you want to love life, and see good days, I tell you the truth. There's no other, there's no other seminar on earth that can tell you how to love life and have good days, but straight from the Word of God. Amen. Proverbs 15:17, and this is the last reference. Proverbs 15:17. I want to back up what I just read to you. Solomon had everything. You say, he loved life. He did. He said all his vanity and vexation of spirit. He had everything, and he said all his vanity and vexation of spirit. Do you know what the wise man said? Do you know what kind of meals he went to? You know, he ate the 4-H steer. He ate the 4-H yearling. The national champion, whenever it was found, he ate it. The Queen of Sheba said that when she saw Solomon sit, eat, and his servants attend him, it took her breath away, and the half had not been told about the glory of his kingdom. You go to a restaurant, and they pipe in music from a satellite dish on the roof. Solomon sat in his house and had the best band in the whole world there to play for him. Orchestra or whatever he was looking for that night. He had his laptop to figure out which wife would be appropriate that evening. He needed a wine to go with the entree and he needed a woman to go with the entree. And he was able to call up all of that because he was Solomon and he had a thousand women. He tried it all. And he said it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. Do you know what he said? To bring you happiness, look at Proverbs 15.17. 15.17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Solomon knew exactly what he was talking about. There had been oxen stalled. That means put in the stall so they couldn't move around, fattened up, just like our feeding lots in North America. A stalled ox, fattened up just for him. But when there was unhappiness and hatred at the table, it is a terrible torture. But when he could have a salad, see, he does use a salad in the Bible, but I want you to know the purpose he's using a salad, because it is such a pitiful meal. Even when you're having a salad, 
which is a pitiful meal, if you've got love there, it's a wonderful thing. I don't want to get your minds off on salads. I want you to understand the verse, though. A dinner of herbs is a pitiful meal. That's the point. But when there's love there, you know, my wife and I have been able to do for 30 years at different times pretty good with a tube of crackers and peanut butter, crackers and cheese and wine. You know, that's pretty simple fare. We call them carpet picnics. Because better is two people that are happy together with a tube of saltines and a jar of peanut butter than any restaurant, because we've been in the restaurants before and been sitting there unhappy. And it didn't matter how much you paid or how good the food was, you left frustrated and discontent. Brethren, I give you a message of peace and prosperity for you, your families, and this church. Love one another. And may Jesus Christ be praised.